T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Well, last year, memorably, the Red Sox didn't lose their third game until the 20th game of the season. This year, it has taken four games. That is suboptimal. All three games over the weekend, there were spirited ninth-inning Red Sox rallies. And in terms of turning those into actual wins, the Sox went one for three. Sunday, it was there for the taking in Seattle. They failed to stick the landing. We will hang an air freshener on a disappointing start to the season here on Sox Daily right now. It's your Daily Sox podcast. It's your Daily Sox podcast. It's where you're going to find out what the Sox Buddy Bell, when managing the Royals, told reporters one time, never say it can't get worse. True that, Buddy Bell. It was uh, bad on the mound Thursday to start the series. It was bad Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. The Sunday effort ended up as a 10-8 final Seattle on top. And, yep, it's a 1-3 start to the season. I'm the new guy, Josh Lewin. How am I doing so far? Uh, yeah, the Red Sox give up 34 runs in four games to the supposedly lowly Seattle Mariners. A 10-8 score on Sunday means that uh, that outscored the Super Bowl, I believe, right? 18-16 in terms of total scoring. Red Sox scored 24 runs in a four-game series. Quick math, that would be six runs a game. That should be plenty, right? If you've got Sale, Evaldi, Rodriguez, Porcello, you should be 4-0. Problem is, we have no idea who those guys are in those uniforms right now on the mound to start out. It started with Chris Sale, who only lasted three innings on the Thursday night game, the opener, and it really got worse from there. All those sales, the RA is 21, and I guess that is the worst right now. Rick Porcello did give up nine runs Sunday in two and two-thirds, but a batch of those were unearned. Overall, the starters threw four games. This is remarkable. 15 innings, and they have allowed 28 runs. Thankfully, unearned runs figure in, so the ERA for the starters is 13.20 right now. Uh, that's still not very good. Let's continue to break things down. We're going to hear from Alex Cora in just a bit. Seems like the Mariners had an extra base hit on every single mistake pitch in this series from Boston. And thankfully, the the bullpen actually did a pretty nice job, by and large. What a weird thing to ponder, right? That here we are, four games into the season, all the talk is about how the bullpen's fine, and the rotation's really wonky. And now David Price is going to have to be the stopper, of all things, in the game one in Oakland. At the plate, the Sox have been passive. That's what I've seen anyway. They actually rank 29th out of 30 major league teams in taking pitches that are in that middle quadrant of the plate. That is not doing damage. That, that is waiting on something to happen and essentially waiting for Godot. It just never does show up. Very opposite of last year's start in so many ways. The Mariners give them credit because they have scored now in basically, it's almost a, a run per inning on average for them this year. 
They were hitting well in Japan, too. They've come home and, and done it nicely. But the, the rotation, a colossal disappointment. J.D. Martinez is getting around and, and doing some good work at the plate. He has already had seven at bats where it ends up with 100 miles an hour or more exit velocity. That's a lot. Only Jock Peterson has more than that through this time of the season. And uh, J.D. with a three-run home run brought the Red Sox back from the dead in the fourth inning. But then again, it was J.D. that put the Red Sox in that position in the first place. Getting ahead of myself, we'll recap fully for you. But uh, this is the first time since 2006 that any team in baseball has had the first four games of the season a starter allowing five or more runs. And would you believe that team is this year's Red Sox? Some of you might say, yeah, I do believe it because there's this hangover thing. If you go ahead and pitch all the way to October 28th the year before, and there are some tired arms, even though the Sox rested those arms so well in spring training, yeah, it's possible that that could happen, and sure enough, it, it is happening. So this particular game, Red Sox get three in the first off the soft tosser Wade LeBlanc, and you're thinking that's more like it. That's more like it very quickly turned into not again, though, because after that three-run push, there were some shoddy Seattle defense that helped out. If you missed the game Saturday, talking about shoddy defense, holy shnikes with Dylan Moore. Uh, that guy at, at third base, it was like the boom goes the dynamite guy getting his big chance to, to finally be on TV, and he just completely freezes. That guy, it was insane. It was back-to-back-to-back, two out ninth-inning errors, and the Red Sox actually almost won the game on Saturday night because of poor Dylan Moore, who we may never see again. I mean, he did not get in the game on Sunday. For all we know, he didn't even get sent to AAA. He might be an A-ball. He, he might be a, a banker right now. I mean, he might be out of this baseball business completely. That was a rough Saturday night. But the, the defense still not good for Seattle. They botched a couple of balls in the first inning. And, in fact, there was an error on the third baseman in this game. It was Ryan Healy that kicked one that Sam Travis hit his way. So let the record show that Seattle third basemen were 0 for 4 over a 4 attempt stretch where you could actually make a play at third base. They made none of them going from Saturday night into the first inning on Sunday. Red Sox took advantage scoring three times and Rick Porcello looked fine in the bottom of the first inning. Struck out Malik Smith, Mitch Hanniger with a high pop out that J.D. Martinez had to find in the glare of the sun. Put a thumbtack in that statement. We'll get back to it. Domingo Santana called third strike. Everything's right. Everything's good. Red Sox don't score in the top of the second. No big deal. But then, bottom of the second, a little bit of a control issue for Porcello. He walked the number eight batter, Daniel Vogelbach, after getting ahead of him 0-2. D. Gordon singles in a couple runs. All right, it's 3-2. to two. You don't love that, but it's still looking okay because you figure Wade LeBlanc is not going to shut down the Red Sox again like he did in this ballpark a year ago. He had a, a run of 22 in a row at one point, retired last summer. This is still Wade LeBlanc. This is a, a crafty lefty in every sense of that cliché. Full marks to the Mariners' marketing department, by the way. They actually did a commercial this year where they've got the crafty lefties, Marco Gonzalez and Yusei Kikuchi and LeBlanc, literally doing arts and crafts. And then Felix Hernandez walks in and he's shunned. Like, you're not, you, you can't do pottery. You can't make a quilt. Go away. You're not a crafty left-hander. We never saw the king. King Felix, who has certainly had his crown dented of late, he had the terrible year last year. He's now their number five starter and not very happy about it. But anyway, Wade LeBlanc was the guy in this game. And the Red Sox only got to him moderately. 3-2 lead to the bottom of the third. That's when everything just went completely bananas. A high fly ball again to J.D. Martinez to start the inning. 
And I know there's a glare problem here, day games in Seattle, that, that's well documented. J.D. found a very high fly ball from Hanniger in the first. He completely muffed one from Hanniger in the third. And it clanked out of his glove, and that was the leaky faucet that started the flood. From there, it was a nightmare. There were three walks in the inning. Porcello doesn't walk that many batters, right? I mean, I'm new here, but even I know that. He ended up walking four, striking out only three in this game. There was only one game all of last year where he had more walks and strikeouts. But Omar Narvaez with a three-run home run. That was a big blow in the inning. Hanniger came up for a second time in the inning, pushed a double to drive home two. It was a seven-run third inning. And you snap your fingers, it's Seattle nine and Boston three. Seattle ended up hitting 11 home runs in these four games. Red Sox hit six. Nothing wrong with that, but... 11 home runs allowed. One more hit by Jay Bruce to lead off the fourth inning off Brian Johnson. And that's the only run that the bullpen has allowed over the last 15 innings of work. So, again, you're all concerned about the bullpen, rightfully so, all during March. Turns out they were actually really, really solid. Brandon Workman came on later in the game. Colton Brewer wasn't great. He actually loaded the bases in the seventh, but he got out of it. Ryan Brazier finally pitched on Sunday. Hadn't pitched at all the first three games. So the bullpen did its job, but again, Porcello, two and two-thirds innings, gives up the ten base runners, nine runs total, and that left the Red Sox to do a lot of heavy lifting coming back. J.D. Martinez tried. He had a three-run home run to atone for the error. That was in the fourth inning. Just a cannon shot for his 1,000th career hit. I thought there would be confetti or, like, balloons coming down from the ceiling. Nothing like that happened, unfortunately. But uh, it was number 1,000 for J.D. He would later walk to start a rally in the ninth inning. And that's where things have always gotten interesting this year. It's a very short sample. But the last two games, the Red Sox had put up three in the ninth inning both times. Mitch Moreland to win the game on Friday night with a, a pinch hit line drive just to put it on the zip line to to win the game off Hunter Strickland. That was fantastic, and that's now the only Red Sox win of the year for the moment. They put up three again and almost won on Saturday night, and that was the the Dylan Moore Follies, but when you're looking for three again on Sunday, they could come up with only one. That was J.D. Martinez, who walked to lead off the inning. He would score when Corey Guerin lost the plot. That's the guy that takes forever to pitch. I mean, he is literally 35 seconds between pitches and he threw only four strikes out of 16 pitches. Problem is, Andrew Bogarts, right after a four-pitch walk to J.D., popped up on the first pitch he saw. It was a rough weekend for Xander. He took a, a called third strike to end things on Saturday. Not a good at bat in the ninth inning on Sunday. Andrew Benintendi, though, drew a, a walk as a pinch hitter. Mitch Moreland, a walk. So they go to the bullpen. They got the unheralded Chasen Bradford in the game. And you're thinking that's exactly what the Red Sox will do. They'll be chasing Bradford. This is the guy that throws 90 miles an hour, has never closed a game, turn his knees to water, make him nervous, work him over, get this thing done. But uh, after there was a walk, Blake uh, Swihart coaxing that with the bases loaded, that made it 10 to 8. After that, Christian Vasquez allowed to hit. Sox were out of pinch hitters at that point, and he struck out on a slider. That left it to Jackie Bradley Jr. And I said on the air, I've seen this movie before. Even though I wasn't around the Red Sox last year, I watched it on TV against an AL West team, right? It comes down to a big spot with two out. He murdered the Houston Astros in the ALCS. But against the lowly Seattle Mariners, well, we thought they were lowly. They're 5-1 and one right now. 
He goes down 0-2 and, and then grounds out to end the ballgame, headed to D. Gordon. So Flash Gordon's son ends the series, ends the game, and, and boy, ends the nightmare in Seattle. This has been a very difficult place for the Red Sox to win. I don't know what it is, but the entire decade here, the teens or whatever we're calling this decade, they had one winning road trip in the 10 years here in this decade. And I don't know about you guys. I just figured with this rotation and a ragtag Seattle bullpen, not much of a lineup. I mean, you know, they're, they're running out Ryan Healy and Daniel Vogelbach. And I do like Mitch Haniger, but I mean, come on. It's not even close. If you go player for player, pound for pound here, this should have been easily a three games to one win for the Red Sox. I think we can all agree. But uh, the rotation, the rotation of all things was just a killer. And Seattle wins his game Sunday by the final of 10-8. to eight. All right, that's all I got on that. We're going to preview the Oakland series in just a bit. Four games against those fellas, and David Price, we mentioned, is going to be on the mound. But this thing got twisted all inside out, and Alex Cora was left to pick up the pieces and talk to the media after the game. We thought you'd like to hear that. So before we preview Oakland on Sox Daily, here's the skipper, Alex Cora. Not good baseball. Um, I mean, we didn't get in from the starters, and that's hard to do. I mean, the only positive out of the whole weekend is, is the bullpen. They did an outstanding job, but I think although offensively we scored runs, uh, we left a lot of people out there. Um, you know, defensively we, we didn't play well, and uh, you know we have to move on. Do you have any answer for the, the pitching row walls? To what? Do you have any answer for the starting pitching walls? We'll be fine. Yeah. What do you see from them? Uh, a lot of pieces in the middle of the zone. Um, you know, the slider to Narvaez. Uh, he started off well, and then they start making adjustments. They got a f- fastball, first pitch, uh, right in the middle. Uh, hit a line drive with a shortstop, and then he just kept rolling. The whole, it, I mean, the whole weekend was that way. You know, they they, they start swinging the bat well, and we didn't stop him until it was too late, and then the bullpen did a good job. Alex, you talked about the team playing a little cleaner toward the end of the spring, but you made errors in each of the first four, a bunch of unearned runs today. How surprising has that been? I mean, like I said, we didn't play well. Uh, we we actually were lucky we won one. You know, we came back. I mean, great that we tried to come back yesterday. Great that we tried to come back today. But, that, I mean, that can happen. It's going to be hard. You know, that that's so hard. We're already in a, in a tough spot this week because of the bullpen. And, obviously, the starters are not going deep. But uh, we'll find a way. You know, tomorrow we got DP. Hopefully, he gets us rolling. And, and then everybody starts throwing the ball well. Does that cause you to rethink how they were, how you got ready with them in spring training? I didn't rethink about last year. It's what happened. It was the same plan. So, you know, whoever is doubting us what we did last year, I mean, this year, check what happened last year. We did the same thing. So you know. Yeah, but I mean, when I got here, I remember when people say that Chris was throwing a hundred in the first game of 2017. So, I mean, it's easy to second guess now. You know what we did. Nobody second guesses last year. It's a program. You have to be disciplined. So that's the way I see it. You know, if people think that you know they didn't start too many games or they have too many innings, they should get back to what we did last year in spring training. I mean, we play until October 28th, and the previous year when I got here, everybody was talking about how they ran out of bullets in, in October against the Houston Astros. So, yeah. I think that all four of the guys struggled the way they did. Is there something a common denominator to all of that? In your I think we left a lot of pitches over the play, and they did a good job. You know, they swung the best well in Japan, too. I mean, for whatever people think they're doing over there as far as, like, rebuilding and trading guys, 
you look at the lineup, you know, they, they got some good hitters, some veteran guys that they know what they're doing. Um, they just want to bat well. Obviously, what, what you did in spring training, you're gearing up for a long season. Um, is, is potentially part of the price that it might take a turn or two for them to get through the rotation? I mean, we, we expect them to throw the ball well regardless. I mean, we did the same thing last year, you know. Uh, I mean, Chris went seven in Tampa, five in, in, in Miami. I mean, it's, it's, I don't know why people now all of a sudden, you know, it's, it's a bad program. You know, it worked last year. You know, everybody was cool when the starters were pitching in October and coming out of the bullpen and be rovers. It's easy to second guess now because we didn't pitch well here. And I'm not going to, you know, use the schedule as an excuse, but seven games left on this trip. How do you kind of manage the bullpen and kind of make sure guys stay fresh? And Oof, yeah, we, I mean, it's not going to be easy, but uh, I think it starts with, with the rotation. Um, you know, they give us six, and then we go from there. Uh, the bullpen did an outstanding job. Um, you know, we threw through the well, we struck people out. They they did outstanding, you know. If you tell me coming into the, the series that it was going to be this way, I would say no chance, you know. Uh, but it's baseball, you know. you got to give them credit, like I said. Those guys are going to be okay throughout the season. Uh, we know that. You lost that ball in the sun, but then kind of recovered in time. Kind of surprised that well, he just he just missed it. He said that the sun was right there. And, you know, he was there the whole time. You know, he just dropped it. No excuses. Offensively, he's been you know kind of picking up right where he left off. What have you seen from his? Um, today was his best day as far as approach. Um, you know, he wasn't swinging early. He was very patient, looking for his pitches, and uh, you know, um, you know, that's who he is. You know, and the walk was a great at bat, obviously with the home run. You know, but when he starts uh, swinging up pitches in the middle of the zone, just like Mookie did today, good things happen. What do, you, what do you think a four-game series like this can do for your team in terms of maybe refocusing that and we're getting? I don't. I mean, I, I thought we were focused. It just happened that we run into a, a team that's one of us well, and we didn't play well. You know, that happens. You know, like I've been saying all along. You know, the the first week of the season, everybody, you know, it, it gets magnified. You know, it's one and three. Yeah, it's one and three. You know. Uh, we probably lost three out of four somewhere last year, and the team has lost three out of four the last, you know, the last three years. You know, it's part of it. So we just got to go to Oakland, who's they have a good team. They swing the bat well, and uh, you know, play good baseball, try to win the series, and move on. So that's the skipper, Alex Cora. Now it is on to Oakland, and David Price will make his 300th major league appearance. I guess that's kind of exciting. He'll match up against Aaron Brooks in a 10:07 first pitch. I don't know why the seven night. I don't. Uh, Tuesday is fun if you like semantics. You guys ready for this one? It's uh, the pitching matchup of Fire Sale. Yep, Mike Fires and Chris Sale. I, I thought that was kind of adorable. So back to David Price for this one. Obviously, he's not really a number five starter. He simply got pushed back to rest a little more after he was so sick a week and a half ago. It sounded gross what he went through, quite honestly. A lot of uh, fluids coming out of various orifices for David Price, but... Anyway, uh, kind of cool to roll into a new city and announce that, yeah, our number five starter was a World Series hero and a recent Cy Young Award winner. It's David Price. What do you got? David Price looked like a pitcher who needed more work when he faced the Cubs right at the end of spring training. He did retire seven of the first eight that he faced, but then seven of the next ten reached base. Didn't look real good. He will take the mound lighter than he was last year. Of course, he lost weight when he was sick, as we mentioned, but there's no more chip on that shoulder of his either. Uh, that chip at times must have felt like it weighed 100 pounds. But this is a, a man who went from pariah to prince in a stretch of basically three weeks last October. And now he just doesn't seem defensive anymore. He seems confident. And it's not that he 
just pitched well himself his last two games of October. He had to outpitch a former Cy Young Award winner to clinch both the LCS and the World Series. So good for him. Back he comes. No talk about postseason failures or Fortnite or Dennis Eckersley or anything other than his actual pitching these days, which is really quite nice. Dan Shaughnessy wrote it. Kyrie Irving can be that guy in Boston now. Price has already had his turn. Hey, since we talked about Eck, should we mention he had some amazing years as the closer? You probably know that about his time in Oakland. And I always like going to Oakland. The stadium, obviously, is a dump. They're trying like hell to get a new one. The one they've got now, it's got some history. Not only the three World Series titles in a row, but this stadium once featured MC Hammer as the home clubhouse assistant. True story. Once featured Tom Hanks as a, a peanut and a hot dog vendor. So uh, I know the Raiders probably get more love for having called this place home. But uh, it, it, for whatever reason, it, it's, it's a place that the Red Sox have gone to and had interesting times as well. The 2003 playoffs, I was there for that as uh, the sideline reporter, the dugout reporter for Fox when Damian Jackson and Johnny Damon crashed into each other and all that. that not a great memory, but... I go back to, to, I don't know how old you guys are, but if, if you remember the dynasty of the mid-70s, the Mustache Gang, when they played in Kelly Green, Fort Knox Gold, and Wedding Gown White. That's what Charlie Finley called all that stuff. And he referred to other teams' uniforms as Eggshell White and Prison Gray, while his guys were mincing around in Kelly Green and Fort Knox Gold and Wedding Gown White. But... For a while, actually, in 72, I think it was, the A's played in the the Kelly Green jerseys and Kelly Green pants. Sal Bando said it's for camouflage. The other team's hitters can't see us because we we blend in right with the grass. They were complex. They were clever. They were colorful. They could surround each other's eyebrows with punches, too. That's the team that would sometimes war with itself, but they always seemed to come out and and get something done. In the World Series against the Reds, uh, Gene Tennis home runs in his first two World Series at bats. He'd had five home runs all season. Pretty amazing. They just always found a way to get it done there. For an owner that was ridiculously frugal, if you know any of the Charlie Finley stories, he did have some innovations. He had a Harvey the Mechanical Rabbit, the orange baseballs he wanted to try. He suggested a three-ball walk to encourage pitchers to throw the ball over the plate and let the hitters put it in play for more scoring. Uh, designated runners. Remember that? He had Alan Lewis and the immortal Herb Washington, who was a sprinter at Michigan State. They once got picked off first in the World Series by another Michigan State guy, Mike Marshall, with a third Michigan State guy slapping down the tag at first base, Steve Garvey. I'm sorry I've been watching the the tournament. Got Michigan State on my mind. But uh, at one point during the Charlie Finley era, just got to put that out there, he had six front office employees, including himself, And I bring that up because the Red Sox have six massage therapists that they employ. I mean, they had an entire front office in the 70s. There were six people, including himself and MC Hammer. He he was one of the clubhouse attendants, and Finley, in lieu of paying him, simply told him he could be a vice president. That that is a true story. Mike Hegan made the mistake of telling Finley when he played for Finley that he wanted to be an announcer someday. So before a game in, I think this was 72, when one of their announcers got sick, Charlie Finley instructed Hegan to change out of his uniform into his dress clothes, help announce the first four innings, then get back in the uniform in the fifth inning just in case he had to pinch hit. That was the Oakland A's of back then. The Oakland A's of right now, uh, they still have to do it on a shoestring, but somehow they won 97 games last year. They barged into the postseason. They had 227 home runs, which was third in the majors. Of course, their starting rotation was decimated. 
two starters from last year left in free agency. Sean Manea had arm surgery, and things are still a bit of a mess for this year. But remember, is the guy that had the no-hitter against the Red Sox early last year. They are perennial playoff party crashers. They always seem to get the most out of the least. Kind of the, the Tampa Bay of the West Coast, the, the A's and the Rays are, are those two teams. And no-name bullpen last year, great right until the last week of the season, basically. They were 70-0 and leading after seven, and then they lost two games in the final few days of last season. You can only mess with the Jenga blocks so many times before they crashed down on the table, and it finally did come asunder last year. For Bob Melvin, great manager, Bay Area native, brings a, a very even-keeled, no-nonsense vibe, never a hint of panic with that guy. So... That's kind of what to look at, I suppose, just kind of scouting out the the where and the what of Oakland, California. The Red Sox actually stay in San Francisco. That is preferable. I got no argument with that. It'll be going down to Pier 39, having a wonderful time, I'm sure, during the day. I'll leave you with this. There's a great columnist in the San Francisco, Oakland area by the name of Ray Ratto. And you guys would love him because the one thing I've learned about Boston in a short amount of time is you guys appreciate snark. You're cynical, and, and I dig that. So... This was probably about 10, 11 years ago. I was in there with the Texas Rangers, and I was asking somebody sitting near Ray Ratto directions. How, how do you get to Pier 39? And Ray Ratto is typing away on his computer, working on a column. So this guy turns to Ray and says, Hey, Ray, uh, how, how do you get to Pier 39? And without missing a beat, he says, You go to Pier 38 and take a left. Anyway. That, that, that's my funny joke to, to close the podcast. And, and if you didn't like it, uh, you can email Ray Ratto. So, the Sox Daily Podcast. This is the thing. Monday through Friday. Highly sponsorable elements here, by the way. i got to throw that out there. If you happen to be a, a corporate marketing type and you like this, and you'd like your business to somehow be a part of this, uh, I don't think anybody at WEEI would be upset if you wanted to volunteer to sponsor a segment here. Maybe like the Ray Ratto joke of the week or, or something. But uh, anyway, you can always find me, Josh Lewin is my name, uh, on Twitter. I'm at Josh Lewin Stuff. Just all smashed together into one word, strangely enough. Josh Lewin Stuff. So if anybody wants to get in touch, not just about advertising, but just if you want to develop a relationship, a friendship here, that's what this is all about. We're, we're all in this together. I, I'm the new guy, but I'm, I'm eager to be part of what you guys are all about. So uh, hope you enjoyed it. We'll do it again tomorrow. From Oakland, California. Finally, the Red Sox get out of Seattle. That's that's a very good thing indeed. This is Josh Lewin. This has been Sox Daily. Bye-bye. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.